Take your Bibles, if you would, and back to Psalm 119, probably, probably the best well-known verse uh, of this psalm is the one we're going to start with tonight, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Except I beseech thee the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. Now, I was counting it up, not counting tonight. If we are able to continue moving one set of eight verses, we have eight weeks left in Psalm 119. And uh, though we have talked about the Word of God in every verse except two in this entire psalm has reference to the, uh, the Word of God, and yet in those two verses there is still uh, a, a reference and a, still an understanding of God's words and its effect in our life, the psalmist is giving us 176 different ways to look at the working of God's word in our heart. Now, I've heard a lot of strange things about verse 105. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And uh, I don't know if Brother Newberger's heard anybody talk about it says, in the olden days, they used to have little lamps that they actually attached to their feet. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I've always tried to figure out how that worked. I had a pretty good idea that I was right, but it doesn't. Uh, if you want a lamp to light the way of your feet, what do you do? You hold it out in front of you just a little bit. Amen? That, that's how simple that is. Um, the Bible tells us, the psalmist is saying, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Now, when they're talking about a lamp, they're talking about, a little bowl-like object with a, a vein cut in one side. There would be a wick sticking out of that, and it would burn more than likely olive oil. And we would say, how in the world did, did they get much light out of something like that? Well, if you'll just go back in time, we used to have kerosene lamps right in the living room. Now, most of us are a little young. I mean, Con Edison started stringing wires and lights in, in the late teens, mid-teens, and 
New York City, of course, was one of the first places to get lights. And, uh, but I, I'll tell you what, you can still find some places where in the United States, where it's kind of a fur piece to get a little electricity. And uh, you'd be surprised how much light you can get when there isn't anything else around you giving light. We'll light a candle and we'll put it in a room and we say, boy, that candle doesn't give much light. Well, that's because you have a 1,200-watt street lamp just outside the window shining in. And you have cars running by with hundreds of candle power uh, glaring in your windows. I mean, if you were out in total darkness and lit just one little light, it makes a real difference. But the reason why we want a light is so we can see where we're going right? And so the psalmist takes these two phrases. He says, it's a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I'm going to tell you something you already know. He's saying the same thing in phrase one and phrase two. It's poetry. He's just reiterating what is going on he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why? Go back one verse. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Go back to verse 1. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. The psalmist is actually picking up the last phrase of the previous strophe or set of eight verses. And he's saying, listen, if I want to hate every false way, I've got to have the ability to, to discern what is true and what is false. How many of you have ever been out in the woods? And they have those wonderful little trails that just kind of seemingly go everywhere. How many of you have gotten off the real trail onto something else and all of a sudden you found yourself just standing there staring at a bunch of trees? Uh, it will happen if you're not careful. It may not be the path that the park rangers made. It just might be one that a bunch of deer decided to run across. And you can get out there in the middle of the woods and all of a sudden find yourself off the path. When I was all oh, about 12 or 13, I had found me a, a, a tree stand that I went hunting in. And, and don't worry, no wildlife was ever harmed while I was hunting in the stand. But... Uh, it was about a mile down into the woods. And there wasn't much of a trail. And we would, my dad, my uncle had a way, we would go down to my uncle's house and he would get us up about three o'clock in the morning. 
And then we would pile in the car and drive an hour and a half or so. So now it's about 4.30, quarter to 5. And now it's time to go into the woods. Now you have to be careful when you're hunting deer because if you get one of them great big flashlights and stick it in your knapsack and a forest ranger comes along, he's going to accuse you of using that flashlight to hunt deer and you're going to go to jail for a very, very long time. So you get just a little tiny light that you carry with you. I'm here to tell you, you can find your way fairly well in the woods or anywhere with just a little bit of light as long as you're not doing one of these numbers. You got to keep it on the ground right in front of you. Now, where are we going with this? I'm not quite sure, but we'll find our way. No. Uh, here's where we're going. A lot of people love to study things about the Bible. They can tell you and answer questions that you never even thought of. But the light that they are getting is not on the path in front of them. And they do dumb things because they're not watching where they're going. How many Christians would say, guilty pastor, been there, done that, was worried about who the sons of God were in Genesis chapter 6 and, and how Cain got his wife and, 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 uh, and all of these questions that people have. Listen, and we've gone over this many times. If your study of the word is not putting light upon your path, it's time to study the word a little differently. The psalmist is growing here. We're watching his maturing. And we, we have seen him cry for help many times already in the first 104 verses of this psalm, and he's going to continue to cry for help because life is full of trouble. Life is not the absence of problems. We have to understand something. There is no such thing as trouble-free living. There will always be this element of suffering, this element of difficulty. There will always be problems. It is a lie to believe that in this happy-go-lucky, one of these days everything's just going to fall into place and it's just going to be one beautiful day after another. Well, maybe in fantasy land, but if you're living a real life, you're going to find that life is full of difficulties. And you'll find the people that have the most rewarding life and the best life and the most happy life are not those people that avoided problems and troubles, but those people that learned how to deal with problems and troubles. Have you ever met a patient person? I can tell you one thing about a patient person, and we'll get there, James 1, hopefully tonight, 
is if you're a patient person, it's because you've suffered. It's because you've learned how to put up with trouble. Now, it says here, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. He says, I hate every false way, but the only way I can tell the difference is to shine the light on them. Go back to Exodus chapter 18 with me, if you would, just for a moment. Exodus chapter 18. Now, what is going on? God has just given his law on Mount Sinai. The children of Israel are building the tabernacle. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes back to visit him. Excuse me. And in verse 20, he's explaining to Moses, listen, if you're the only one who can give this entire nation God's law, you're going to wear away, and so are the people. Look at verse 20. He says, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. He said, listen, Moses, you're going to have to find some people. And you're going to have to set up some different levels of courts, or so to say, or officers among the children of Israel. But you see, if you'll teach them God's ordinances, that will show the people the way. God's laws will tell us the way that we ought to work walk. Have you ever allowed God's word to make a decision for you? That's what we're talking about here. That's how the word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Let God's word begin to make decisions for you. How many of you remember when you first understood what it was to be a sinner in the sight of a holy God? There's only one way that you can do that. You've got to let the light of God's word shine upon your soul and begin to reveal things that you really don't want to know. And then you take that life that you have that's got all those problems and sins and shortcomings and actually match it up with the word of God. About that time, you ought to get horrified. About that time, you ought to start feeling a little fear. How many of you remember what it was to be afraid of dying before you got saved? That's because God's light showed you the problem. But it also showed you the solution, did it not? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Now, how many of you have struggled with sin since you've been saved? Uh, could I challenge you to do the same thing? Get out the light. Shine it on your life. And it will give you the decisions that you need to make. It's very simple when we allow the light 
of God's Word to shine on our path. What we want to do is we want to get one of those super high-powered uh, lights that throw a beam a quarter of a mile away, and we want to look way down there and see where we're going. The only problem is you're going to trip over what's in front of you while you're looking way down the road. You don't need a beam that will reach a quarter of a mile. Two or three feet, that's all you want. Just so you know where to put the next foot. If you'll put that foot in the right place, and, and we've gone over this so many times, but if you're in God's will today, you got a pretty good chance of being there tomorrow. That's what it means, a light unto my feet. Where am I going to put my feet next? Where is my path leading? Am I still in the way? Because if I'm not, I've got to get back. Now look at the next verse. It says, I have sworn and will perform it and will and that I will keep thy righteous judgments. Now as we read this, we say, wow, that, that sounds pretty dogmatic. That sounds like the psalmist believes he's got it all together. But you got to remember, we're already 106 verses in to Psalm 119. We're moving our way through. We're 14 of 22 sections. Now, if this psalm, and, and it sure has every appearance that it is, is the life journal of the working of the word of God in the psalmist, divide your life up into 14 into 22 periods, and then go 14 of those through. I mean, we're, we're well over halfway here. I mean, we're closing in. We've come almost twice as far as we're going. And the psalmist is not affirming his own ability and what he has done. He's going back and he's affirming the work that has been done by God's word in his life. He says, listen, I have sworn, God, I promised you. I mean, how many of you here tonight? I'll put my hand up. I've done this. How many of you have promised God you would do something? God, I'm going to be more faithful in church. God, I'm going to read my Bible more. God, I want to... That's a promise, and you better be careful when you make a promise. God is listening, and he wants you to keep those promises. And he's saying, listen, I have sworn and will perform it. He said, I understand enough about life that I'm not going to start rethinking life now. You know what we call that in America? We call it a midlife crisis. How many of you know somebody had a midlife crisis? They took off to Tahiti to become an artist. Uh, quick way to starve to death, let me tell you. Um, 
Listen. How many of you remember the story of Achan in the battle of Jericho? He got in the middle of the battle, and what did he do? He rethought his orders. Moses, I mean, Joshua said to destroy everything, that if it could pass through the fire, the gold and the silver, it belonged to the temple of God. And Achan began thinking that God was getting an awful lot out of this city, that he would just take a little bit. Thirty-six men died in the next battle. And Achan's entire family was destroyed from Israel because of Achan's sin. Listen, when you are in the midst of a crisis, when things around you and the pressure's going up and you just don't know what to do, it is not time to begin to rethink. It's time to grab a hold of God's word just a little tighter. It's time to start doing the right things over again. How many of you have ever given any thought to how much repetition there is in life? I mean, there's, there's a lot of repetition. Do you want me to tell you what you did sometime yesterday and the day before and almost every day of your life? You woke up. I didn't wake up in the morning. No, you woke up at some point, unless you were very sick and in a coma. Uh, you wake up every morning or every afternoon or at, at least sometime during the day. Somebody said, when do you get up? When I have to. That's when I get up. Um, how many times have you eaten food? But you know what? We're going to talk about that for 30 seconds here and somebody's going to go home and they're going to say, now pastor talked about eating food. I'm hungry. I'm going to have another snack before I go to bed tonight. I, I mean, how many times have we repeated these things? I'll tell you what, I'm glad. As I look out over our audience tonight, I can't find a one that didn't take repeated personal hygiene care. Amen. I'm not going to go any further than that, but uh, I mean, it's a good thing to take a bath once in a while. In fact, I, I encourage you to repeat it as often as you can. Amen? I mean, life is full of repetition, and yet we complain when we have to read God's Word over and over again. We complain when we have to go to church and listen to the preacher yell at us over and over. Get used to it. It's good for you. Why? Because the psalmist here is saying, listen, I've sworn that I'm going to keep thy judgments. I'm sworn and I'm going to perform it. I'm just going to keep God's judgments. When we're tempted, we're tempted not to do what we know we ought to do. Do it anyway. Just do right. The old preacher said, do right. Do right till the stars fall. Do right. It's never wrong to do right. How do you know what's right? Uh, the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. 
But look at verse 107. He says, I am afflicted very much. Now, if David were the psalmist, how many of you can think of afflictions in David's life? David had a lot of problems in his life, did he not? He had a lot of difficulties, and David's difficulties and, and, and troubles and trials never ended. I mean, they followed him right until the day of his death. As his eldest living son at that time, Adonijah, was trying to usurp the throne from Solomon and, and uh, Joab and, and so many of the people that he had trusted all his life had turned his back on him in the last days that he lived. The psalmist here says, listen, I am afflicted very much. It is not. It is not life without problems. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1, and we, we may not finish this one tonight. James chapter 1. I'm going to try to keep moving, but verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now we like verse 5, I mean verse 4. We like to be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amen? And that's not a bad thing. I mean, we ought to want to be full in our relationship with God. We ought to want to be complete and serving God, not lacking any major part in our service. But... Uh, Let's go back to verse 2. When you fall into diverse temptations and everything starts falling apart, how many of you are happy then? If you can't count it all joy then, you're never going to get to verse 4. We've got to understand, as the psalmist has reaffirmed so many times already, he says, I was afflicted. I thank you that I was afflicted, that I might learn to obey. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now that God's brought this suffering into my life, I, I kind of want to stay a little closer to the word of God. He says, I've been afflicted very much. But then he says, quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. Now, we might just take part of one evening and just go through the times that the psalmist has used according unto thy word. So many, many times, and we don't have time tonight to go through and do all of that, but many times he says, Lord, I want you to keep your promises to me according to thy word. Everything God does is according to his word. God never, ever under any circumstances, violates his words. This is one of the problems that, 
that we really have with the way many pastors and churches and organizations treat the Word of God is they'll come up with some fantastic idea, but it contradicts other parts of the Bible. And so what do we do? We just ignore those other parts, right? No, no, no. We got to change our ideas. Because God never, never contradicts his word. It is his word that gives us life. If you've lived any time at all, you can share with me times when keeping God's word has protected you and brought blessing to your life. If you've lived any time at all, you can share testimonies with each one here tonight where disobeying God's word has brought suffering and pain and trial into your life and into the lives of those around you. Can we say amen and oh me appropriately to that phrase? Because it is true, is it not? And the psalmist says, listen, I am afflicted very much. What's going on in my life is not fun. It is affliction. It is suffering. But if I'm going to have life, it's going to be. That's what the word quicken means. Give me life according unto thy word. Verse 108, except I beseech ye, beseech thee the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord. Let's go to Psalm 51 very quickly. Psalm 51, verse 7. This is David's psalm of repentance. And in verse 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou will not despise. He says, accept the free will offerings of my mouth. Now, offerings were sacrifices that were offered to God. A free will offering was beyond the required offering. This would be if you had transgressed the law, you would offer a trespass or a sin offering. If it were a feast day, there were required offerings that needed to be offered at different times. But if you just wanted to do something to please God, to do something extra, you would offer a free will offering. And so the psalmist is saying, listen, I don't only want to praise you, God, when you do good things in my life. I'm going to praise you all the time. God, I'm going to give an offering and an understanding that your word is my life, even when I am afflicted very much. Even when things are going very strongly against me. Go to uh, Psalm 34 there. And just verse 1. Psalm 34, verse 1. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually shall continually be in my mouth. Those are the offerings. He said, except I beseech thee the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and hardly even takes a breath, and teach me thy judgments. Now, 
what I want us to do here is I want us to turn to Philippians chapter 3. And this is a struggle that we talk often about as we study the scriptures and is brought up there. There are many paradoxes or struggles in the Bible. We, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have been born again the Bible way, according to the scriptures, you are perfect in Jesus Christ. He has given you his holiness, and yet we struggle every day to stay holy. Now look at verse... Uh, Sorry, here, verse 9 is where we'll start reading of chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. And this is Paul. Let's get verse 8. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, if, as you read that, it almost sounds like the Apostle Paul is in doubt of his own salvation. That is not what he's talking about here. He says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now this is the, what the Apostle Paul is saying. He said, I don't consider myself to have apprehended. He said, I keep pressing forward that I may obtain that which I'm already apprehended of. He said, Christ has me in the palm of his hand. He is protecting me, and God the Father has wrapped his hand around. That's John chapter 10. You're safe. He said, but I'm pressing forward. He said, I want that prize of the high calling of Christ, in Christ Jesus. I want to keep moving. And so... The psalmist is saying, listen, even though I've been afflicted, Lord, I want you to give me life according to your word. I want you to accept the free will offerings because I'm going to give them, Lord. I'm going to praise you with my mouth in good times and bad times. Lord, my speech is going to reflect what's going on in my heart, but I want you to teach me more about thy word. I want you to teach me thy judgments. Now let's go back and look at verse 109 and we'll see the intensity that the psalmist is putting in here. He said, listen, I've got to have thy judgments. This affliction that he spoke about in verse 107 is rung out again in verse 109. He says, my soul is continually in my hand. Now what that means is, 
if I make one false step, I could lose my life. I would dare say very few of us have ever been in a situation like that. And if we have, it has not been a prolonged period of time. When I was in Bible school, I met a, a fellow student from the city of Beirut, Lebanon. And she began to explain to me some of the things it was to live in Lebanon in those days. She said, you go to the supermarket to get food and you had no guarantee that you were coming home. She said, there's no one living in that city that does not know someone that has not been killed or murdered in the streets. This is going back to the early 80s. I would dare say very few of us have any understanding of what it is to live like that. I mean, we think, oh yeah, things are bad in New York. And if you make the wrong decision, you could lose your job. No, no, here, you make the wrong decision, you lose your life. You take one step, you make one decision the wrong way. By the way, how many of you are perfect in your decision making? I don't see any hands going up. I'm just going to show you what to do in case that might be you, but it's not me. None of us make the right decisions all the time. No human being is capable of that. And yet the psalmist is sitting here and, and or writing here that if... I make one little mistake. The enemies are going to jump upon that and I am going to lose everything. Now we try to comprehend that, but I want to give you a verse that's not in the Bible. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary. The devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you think the psalmist here was thinking only of his physical enemies when he made this statement? Don't think so. You see, that's what we mean when we say the Bible is one book. It goes back and forth. You can make connections all the way through. He says, my soul is continually in my hand. He says, every day I'm faced with my own destruction, yet do I not forget thy law. He says, the only protection I have is God's law. Remember how he said before that the law of God was his delight, God's commandments, his statutes were his delight, his special pleasure. He said, this I have because I delighted in thy commandments. Right here he's saying, listen, my soul is continually in my hand. Look at the next verse. The wicked have laid a snare for me. Now, I want you to read these verses. Go back to James, right, not right now. Uh, read them later, James chapter 1. It says, let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted of God, for God tempteth no, uh, God, oh, we're going to have to go there and finish it because I can't quote it right. All of a sudden it's turning up a blank page. It says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted with, of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, 
neither tempteth he any man. Why do we expect wicked people to behave righteously is the question that the psalmist is bringing forth here. You shouldn't. The wicked are going to be wicked. Don't try to negotiate with sin. There are no half measures with sin, my friend. There are no half measures in salvation. It said, the wicked have laid a snare for me. This is what he's referring to as my soul is continually in my hand. I see the snares that are laid. I see the traps that are being set. I wonder why he can see the traps. Uh, maybe it's because of that lamp that's to his feet and the light to his path. He said, but I, I didn't err that word yet, but. He said, God, this is what's going on and you know this is what's going on. The psalmist has complained about this before. He said, but I, but I haven't been taken prey. Do you think he going back to the verse, uh, the cough strop here, stroke where it was so down, he was a bottle in the smoke, he was all of these things. He said, they had almost consumed me. Now he's seeing the snares have been laid. Now he's able to see all of the traps that are set. And he says, all I'm doing, Lord, is just keeping those commandments as I'm walking in the way. I don't believe the trials have gotten any less when we get down here in, the, in, in verse 111 where we are. It's just that it's not weighing as heavy upon his mind and his heart because he knows what the answer is to the snares of the wicked. It's just continually obeying that word. Look at verse 111. It says, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever. Do you know what a heritage is? A heritage is an inheritance. It is something that you can only get by right of passing down from one generation to the next. The psalmist has said, I've given up my family heritage. I have given up the heritage that might be mine if it were David as a great warrior. If it were Daniel that wrote this psalm, the heritage as a great wise man and a very pure man in his life. He said, I've laid aside those heritages and what people may say about me, I've taken for heritage thy testimonies. He said, I want to be known as the Bible man. Tell you what, I like that. I want to be known as a Bible man. I want to be known as a Bible preacher. I want somebody to walk through these doors that's never been in this church before and all of a sudden understand this church is serious about the word of God. That is our heritage as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the heritage that will keep us. Thy testimonies, they are the rejoicing of my heart. 
He said, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statues always, even unto the end. Now, how many of you know what it means to incline something? It means to bend it, to put it on a ramp, to move in a direction that makes it easier to slide or to push. Tell you what, it's hard to push something up a set of stairs. But if you'll build a ramp, you can incline that thing right up to line. He said, I've inclined my heart. He's using that as a verb. He said, I've put my heart on a ramp. It's going to slide only one direction. It's going to slide toward God's word. You know, we have a lot of uh, the word prejudice is a bad word today, and it ought not necessarily always be. But that's another word. It says when we make decisions because of prejudice, it means we've set up pre-formed uh, pillars that we're not going to move. I mean, no engineer in his right mind would try to build a bridge with lead. It's not because he hates lead. It's because principles of engineering have prejudiced him, inclined his mind to reject lead as a material for taking tension because lead doesn't take tension, it just bends. Does that make sense? Now the psalmist says, I've inclined my heart. We need to get out the chalks and the wedges and start driving them into our life so that it gets bent. So that when we lose our footing and slide, we're not sliding toward the abyss. We're sliding toward the word of God. Do you see the difference? This is what the psalmist is talking about. He is expressing his love for the word of God, the word, how the word of God works. He said, it's the lamp unto my feet. It's the light unto my path. He says, I have learned, I have sworn, and I will perform it. I'm going to keep thy judgments it's not because life is just so wonderful in the way. He says, I'm afflicted. The, the wicked have laid snares for me. He said, my, hand, my life is in my hand continually. He said, but I'm still going to offer those free will offerings. I'm going to do more than is required. Because your word gives me much to rejoice in. He says, I have a heritage. And we skipped over all these verses, but read Hebrews chapter 2. It says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren. I could spend the whole night just right there. That's the heritage of the Christian. He says, I've inclined. He said, I've warped, I've prejudiced, I, I have driven the wedges in and made a ramp for my heart 
so that when the storms of life hit and I start sliding around, I'm going to slide in the right direction. Most of us live life looking over the guardrails of the word of God. How close can I get and not fall over? The psalmist said, doesn't work that way. Pile up the bank so that when you get thrown in that direction, you get bounced back. Because when we finish this life, we want to be in the way. And God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to drill these words and these thoughts and principles into our souls much more than just the few words that we've spent tonight. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives, that you would incline us, that you would call, cause us to incline our hearts to perform thy statutes always. Lord, let us not quit. Let us serve you till you take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a moment of silence tonight. We won't worry.